Atlanta's number one radio stations. Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more. switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski. The dingarona. The ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Live from our newsrooms brings back our hit news network, SNN, with many news anchors like Arthur Brooks, Addison Hayden, and Beatrix Gemma. Brings you stories about the news worldwide. Tune in on Atlanta's number one stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6 radio stations. To get the latest news today, listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and more. You know that big bargain detergent jug is 85% water, right? 85% water? I thought I was getting a better deal because it's so big. If you want a better clean, Tide Pods are only 12% water. The rest is pure, concentrated cleaning ingredients. Ooh, pass me the intercom thing. Attention shoppers. If you want a real deal, try Tide Pods. Don't pay for water. Pay for clean. If it's got to be clean, it's got to be Tide Pods. Water content based on the leading bargain liquid detergent. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger. Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. about several monarch butterfly fans in New York City who were doing their work separately to save milkweed, which is the one food source for monarch caterpillars before they become butterflies, and how they found each other and worked together to save habitats in some very, very congested, surprising places. This story was originally gonna be a profile about Robin Elman who basically dedicates every summer from June to September to collecting monarch larvae and raising butterflies in her backyard as she sort of prepares this very special generation for their migration to Mexico. It's a generation of butterflies that can live up to nine months, say, instead of two weeks. She told me that when she would go to her very public by the highway sort of milkweed sites, and would find habitats mown down. 
she would get terribly upset. Then she went on this quest to find out who was responsible for mowing these habitats. Frank Coniglio, who is the head of highway maintenance for the DOT, had been approached by other New Yorkers about saving wild milkweed in other parts of the city. And to his credit, he'd stopped. He'd stopped mowing under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. He still does not mow to this day there. When Robin finally, triumphantly, got to this very high up guy at the Department of Transportation, Frank told her about another woman in the Bronx, Patty Cooper, who was devoted to the same thing. And these two women met the summer for the first time and actually made a lot of progress with the Department of Transportation and managed to save a lot, a lot, a lot of habitats across the city. I guess it meant less mowing for them too, so it's <laughs> a so win-win. The takeaway here is if you find that one thing that really moves you, work on that. It's very easy to throw up your hands when you watch the news on a 110 degree day and just decide it's hopeless, I'm just one person. But if you can find one thing that you care about and that you know you sort of have a handle on, maybe that will make you feel like you have a little bit more control over such a huge issue. Here's my story. The Long Island Expressway is not generally a place people linger, unless, of course, they're stuck in traffic. But during the summer, Robin Elman can often be found walking alone near the highway's shoulder, inspecting scraggly patches of overgrown milkweed. The plant is the only source of nutrition for monarch caterpillars before they transform into butterflies. For the past several years, Miss Elman, who's 47, has been on a quest to help save monarchs, which are under consideration for the endangered species list. She does this by preventing milkweed, which grows wild in New York City, from being raised. I feel like we're taking over so much of the wildlife, we're not giving them a chance to even exist anymore, Miss Elman said of monarchs. Habitat loss and climate change have reduced the monarch population by more than 80% over the past 20 years, experts say. Until this year, Miss Elman's quest had been a lonely one. But this summer, she met two like-minded people, forming something of an unlikely threesome that managed, in a humble victory, to protect 20-odd monarch habitats in Queens and the Bronx. Miss Elman first started thinking about the wild milkweed four years ago, when she began rearing monarchs in her backyard in the Belrose neighborhood of Queens. She was collecting the eggs from plants growing along highways in nearby northern Queens, but often she found the plants reduced to stubs. It was devastating, she said, finding hundreds of caterpillars and eggs obliterated. Immediately, Miss Elman set about talking to other environmentalists and local leaders, imploring anyone remotely interested in biodiversity to point her in the direction of the lawnmowers in charge. She went through three city council members, an uninterested city worker, and a liaison assigned to her case by the council. She even sent a presentation to the sanitation department and spoke to someone there. It all led to nothing. 
until she was introduced to Frank Coniglio, the director of arterial highway maintenance for New York City. Mr. Coniglio, who's 58, has worked at the Department of Transportation for 37 years and handles everything from traffic emergencies to fixing potholes. After 9-11, he helped direct the cleanup efforts. He's a soccer dad, a Yankees fan, an antiques car buff, not exactly a Greenpeace type. Miss Elman showed Mr. Coniglio a map of all her milkweed spots, and he nodded. He already knew all about the stuff. Six years ago, there was the elderly man in Brooklyn who had asked Mr. Coniglio to stop mowing the milkweed under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge for the sake of the butterflies. And a few years later, a nonprofit near the Westchester border pleaded for his lawnmowers to stand down for the same reason. Plus, over the past few weeks, another woman had been doggedly calling his office about milkweed too, Mr. Coniglio said. He told Miss Elman, I had this lady in the Bronx and she's driving my staff crazy. Her name was Patty Cooper. She had found raised milkweed along the Hutchinson River Parkway and she wanted him to do something about it. Miss Elman realized she was not so alone after all. Throughout June, the two women worked to persuade Mr. Coniglio to let the plant grow wild. At first, I was a little skeptical, he said, because they were overbearing. But he was won over with their lobbying, which included sending him YouTube videos about the plant's importance and the plight of monarch butterflies. It tells you about how they're pollinators and all the things they do for the environment, he said. Miss Cooper, who's 59, remembers him asking her on one of his site visits, what happens to the butterflies is going to happen to us, right? Miss Elman asked Mr. Coniglio if there were other milkweed areas that he knew about. He mentioned several, including spots near Utopia Parkway and Casino Boulevard. And he had the guys not cut that over the summer as well, he said. By summer's end, about 20 milkweed patches, some near big box stores, dental practices and body piercing parlors and all near highways, were being protected. However small the victory may be in an era of raging wildfires and warming oceans, these New Yorkers achieved it. It made everybody feel really good, Mr. Coniglio said. Like, we're doing something positive. Many say climate change is the existential crisis of our time. And as New Yorkers watch their leaders race to decarbonize buildings or build seawalls, it's difficult to know what to do and how to help. To report this story, I spent time with the Yeshiva men's soccer team at practice and game. It was challenging because it was very emotional time and there was great sadness, but they were very gracious in answering all my questions. I was struck that each one of the members of the team, even if they didn't speak to me for an interview, came up and shook my hand before and after practice and at the game. Playing soccer has been a refuge for the players on the Yeshiva men's soccer team, but the game itself was a rather normal competitive college soccer game. There were a few moments, there was the Israeli flag that flew on the bench, and when one of the players scored, he pulled out a piece of fabric on which he had written a slogan in support of Israel and held it up in front of photographers. He spent time before he went in the game conferring with the sideline referee to determine what was legal and what was not. 
He wanted to do it on his undershirt underneath his jersey, but that was against the rules. So he carried the fabric around with him in the game in case he scored, and he did. This is a snapshot of just one group and how they are coping after the attacks. The Israeli flag fluttered in a stiff breeze behind the visitors' bench at SUNY Maritime College in the Bronx. It was the first time this year that Israel's blue and white standard had accompanied the Yeshiva University men's soccer team to a game. But this was also the first time the Maccabees had played since Israel was attacked by Hamas terrorists on October 7th, and the players, some from Israel, some wearing kippahs on their heads, yearned to demonstrate their patriotism and support for Israel and the Jewish people after a week of crushing rage, anxiety, and sorrow. During the day, I can't study, I can't think about anything but watch the news all day, said Yonatan Reiter, a senior fullback from Stay Yitzhak in Israel. But during practice, it is the best two hours of the day. It is important to do something different, to smile, at least for a few minutes. Like many groups, institutions, and families of all kinds in the New York region, Yeshiva, an Orthodox Jewish university in Upper Manhattan, has been shaken by the war in Israel and Gaza. The men's soccer team, with players from four continents and seven countries, spent the first week of hostilities grappling with their duties as students and athletes amid a flare of heightened emotions. When news of the attacks broke, the Maccabees, a school nickname derived from the leaders of an ancient Jewish rebel army, were in the middle of a good season. Loaded with talented players from Argentina, Brazil, France, Italy, South Africa, New Jersey, Long Island, and Israel, the Max had a 5-1-2 record in the Skyline Conference, a Division III league made up of New York teams. After losing in the final last year, the Maccabees are bent on winning it this year and earning the soccer team's first invitation to the NCAA tournament. When they met on October 9th for practice, Alan Weiss, the first-year head coach who was also Jewish, addressed the players. He asked how they were faring and tried to ascertain if they were still capable of dividing their attention between their concerns for loved ones and soccer. The overriding sentiment was a desire to play on. The mood was very serious, Mr. Weiss said. It is hanging over everyone. We recognized it, we said prayers, and then we got to work. Practices and games have mostly provided a diversion from the distress. Some of the players were in Israel for the Sukkot holiday, and one could not get a flight back for more than a week. Even players on the team from other countries, a few not even Jewish, feel a strong connection to Israel. These guys took me in as their brother, said Vinicius Giannaccini a graduate student in data analytics from Sao Paulo, Brazil. I see what they go through and how they stay positive. It makes me proud to be a part of them. Mr. Reiter, one of several former Israeli soldiers on the team, has been in regular contact with family members who took shelter during the attacks as rockets fell on their village, he said. They tell him about what is happening in Israel, and he tells them how the Maccabees, who enjoy a modest following in Israel, are doing. He purchased black armbands for his teammates, emblazoned with the words, forever in our hearts, and the players vowed to wear them for the rest of the season. The 
Attendance at practices and games has been strong, but in the first few days after the attacks, two players were absent. One fasted in solidarity with the Israelis, the other, Kafir Slanimsky from Kibbutz Kinneret in Israel, asked for a day off to pray. Mr. Slanimsky, a soldier in the Israeli Defense Forces from 2015 to 2018, said he had considered returning home. For now, he is committed to the Maccabees and his school. I feel like I do a lot from here to represent the university and the Jewish people, he said, but it hits really hard. A junior midfielder, Mr. Slanimsky was recruited from Israel to play soccer at Eastern Oklahoma State College and then transferred to Allen Community College in Kansas before arriving at Yeshiva. Through all that time, he kept his army dog tags with him, but he did not wear them. But after the attacks, he put them back around his neck. Mr. Sloninsky and the others say they now play for Israel, for the Jewish people and for one another. But that was mostly the case even before last week. For many of the players, the team has offered a chance to showcase that they too are capable athletes, contrary to the reception of some of their opponents and to a degree the world at large. People didn't take us seriously as a program, said Gabe Einhorn, a junior midfielder from Teaneck, New Jersey. Oh, they're just the Jewish team. We all felt a chip on our shoulder the past few years. Last year, we went to the conference final and lost on penalty kicks. This year, we won it badly. Some on-field incidents have raised concerns of anti-Semitism, like last year when an opposing player tried to knock the kippah off the head of a yeshiva player after a close, heated match. A small scuffle broke out, but no real punches. We're soccer players, Mr. Einhorn said, not hockey players. After the final practice of the week before their game, Alejandro Saul, a stalwart defender and captain from Argentina, gathered the players in a circle. They draped arms over one another's shoulders, their heads bowed and eyes watery as they grieved the death and suffering. Two players mentioned people they knew who had died in the attacks. Some players cried. Another led the squad in the appropriate psalms. Then came the game as the Maccabees traveled by bus to a field next to the Throg's Neck Bridge on a crisp, sunny day. They wore their blue uniforms and black armbands, and some carried pieces of fabric displaying handwritten slogans in support of Israel, which they intended to flash after goals. Before the game, the players huddled for more prayers, and the Maritime College public address announcer, at Yeshiva's request, asked for a moment of silence for those who had died in Israel. Then Josh Ziarno, a junior striker from Long Island and the leading scorer of the Maccabees, gathered the team for an emotional pre-game speech. We play for the people of Israel, he yelled to his teammates. We are honoring them and every good and decent person in the world who is joining us. During the match, Mr. Reiter, who was suspended after receiving a red card in the previous match, texted family members in Israel who followed the game on their computers. Mr. Ziarno scored the first goal on a driving long-distance shot, and Yeshiva won 3-0. I'm proud of them, Mr. Weiss said after the game. There is obviously a lot of adversity, guys with families, friends, and comrades they are worried about in Israel. But they came out with a resolve to be focused and play as a tight-knit team, a family. 
The players shook hands with their opponents and then joyfully rehashed the game as they removed their cleats. Their coach called them into another circle and congratulated them. He urged the players to rest up and to continue their strong, inspired, and team-oriented play. Then he told them, I hope everyone can get some rest and some peace of mind. I wish you guys well, and all your families well, and God willing, we'll all come through this stronger on the other side.